This podcast may contain explicit language and themes, so listener discretion is advised. Ill-advised, misinformed, our half-baked opinions will be performed. Are you ready? Is the mic on? Welcome to the Hill to Die On. You're listening to A Hill to Die On, a podcast hosted by two stubborn as shit Aussies who give hot takes on a different topic every week, go away to dig deeper, and then reconvene to share whether or not their hot take hill was worth dying on. We're your hosts, Prince Philip Stans, Josie Spicer, and Cara Brooks. Before we get started on this episode, we just want to welcome our newest franiel to the pack, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Oh, franiel. You're now franiel. This week, we're asking, is public CCTV an invasion of our privacy? I'm going to go ahead and ask you first, Josie. Yes. I think with the right legislation and rules around what can be done with footage. It's ultimately a really useful tool in investigating, at least it's it's super important in investigating violent crimes. Mm. You know, there's all these concerns about facial recognition and basically being able to create profiles of, of citizens. And I think that is a huge problem and should be legislated against. But I think there are so many rape and homicide and kidnapping cases that have relied on CCTV footage in one way or another to help solve these cases or at least bring justice, uh, an amount of justice to the victims. And so for that reason, I think in a public setting with the right legislation involved to make sure that there should be a limit on what they can do with that information. What about you, Cara? I'm going to say no. You don't think it's an invasion? I don't. This is the thing, like, you're, it's public. Like, anything that you're doing in public, don't fucking do it. Like, if you're doing the wrong thing, fucking stop it. I just think that, like, yeah, it, it is to a point, but I have seen way too many episodes of that. Have you ever seen that TV show, See No Evil? No. It's like entirely crimes where they've caught the killer, rapist, whatever, kidnapper, based on CCTV footage. So it's like the, the case is entirely cracked because of CCTV. What are your feelings about, you know, we know that there are efforts by certain governments to essentially build profiles of individuals largely using CCTV footage. There's been reports in, you know, Hong Kong, people painting their faces in in certain ways to make sure that any facial recognition that can occur from CCTV footage is 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 unreadable. Like, mm. do, do, you, do you feel like at least that is an invasion, the facial recognition aspect of it? There's always going to be gray areas and nothing's black and white. And it's like, if the government is the ones that are doing fucking wrong, yeah. at that point, it's like they're using it to their advantage against people. They're not really doing anything morally reprehensible. <laughs> There's always like checks and balances and obviously better legislation would be better. But in general and in our society specifically, and I know that the UK is one of the sort of foremost Western countries that has CCTV fucking everywhere. And I think it's been really beneficial for them for catching crime. So I suppose just from an anxiety standpoint of someone that would rather feel safe mm-hmm. um, and know that I don't really do, like, personally, I don't do illegal things. I certainly don't do illegal things in public. So I don't have anything personally to really fear from that. And yeah. I guess, like, there is the whole point, basically the idea of self-policing. So, you know, you you see this security camera and you feel watched. So mm. therefore you police your own actions and 
in theory, behave accordingly, knowing that you're filmed. So much of the footage is captured and no one's even looking at it. They don't look at it really unless they have a reason to look at it. And I say that as someone that has worked previously in a few jobs in a control room where I'm looking at CCTV all day. Like most of the time when cops are investigating crime, they specifically pull footage from specific locations. And time slots and, yeah. There's no way you could possibly monitor all of it. Protesting is where it does sort of become a grey area. I think it's so, so, so important uh, in public places, sidewalks and, and malls and stuff like that, to have this stuff because, you know, just off the top of my head, Jill Ma, she was a woman who was raped and murdered by someone that basically just saw her on the side. Sydney Road, I think it was. Sydney yeah. Road in Melbourne, yeah, you're right. And um, one of the ways that they found out who it was was the CCTV footage where you saw him kind of following. It's so haunting seeing that shit as well, like any of those shows where you're seeing someone's last moments. It's just oh rough. It's And just like I just wish that someone else had been along there at that time mm-hmm. and maybe. And maybe just hit him with a car. <laughs> Honestly, oof. I still like remember basically what she was wearing from that CCTV CCTV footage too. Like it's so is burnt into my brain, and I, I think it's because I have walked alone down that street too, right? Like, yeah, yeah, same. My gym <laughs> used to be down there. I used to walk there a lot, like at night by myself. So I think that the safety element is really important. We have um, at my work, like there's, like we do have CCTV like in the store, um, but we didn't for a long time. Like when I started working there, we didn't. We have the signs. It <laughs> definitely does not stop thieves. I can tell oh, you. No, no, no. Fuck it. Like, yeah, basically. It. So really you just watch the thieves stealing, but you do get to catch people a hell of a lot more because even while they're in the store, because you watch them do it on the cameras and you're like, yes. you're a fucking idiot. Like I can see you have that in your pocket. And like, you give you give that to the police. And it's yeah, like, exactly. Right, do what yeah, you want. We've done that like, so many times. Like the people that have just like grabbed handfuls of shit and run out the door. So like you can't <laughs> stop them in the moment, but you can save the file onto you a, a USB and give it to the police. And we've had people like where the police have contacted us to say that they've arrested them. I think it's really important. So like CCTV in public and in I guess um, like commercial settings is so important because take your workplace, for example, you see someone steal, you aren't allowed to make, like citizens' arrests aren't a thing in Australia, a legal thing in Australia. So what are you going to do? Like Exactly. Just ask them to give it back. That's all you can do. At most, right? Or not even because it's not considered shoplifting until they leave the store with it. (laughs) So all you can do is be like, are you going to pay for that pen that's in your pants? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, any confrontation you do run the risk of, that escalating as well mm-hmm. which you don't get a fucking paid paid enough to to, to exactly risk. i make minimum wage like it's certainly not enough to risk my personal safety and there's definitely been times when i've called out thieves where i haven't felt safe but it's like well my morals are sort of saying that that's fucked <laughs> like, yeah it's it's such a yeah. tricky thing but yeah so it's like if you dared try to stop someone mm. you would be in trouble in that instance especially since you would note that they haven't shoplifted until they've left the premises. Yeah. So the best that you've got is CCTV, CCTV footage, which is the best eyewitness possible. For me personally, it would be hypocritical of me to be like, yeah, it's totally an invasion of privacy when like I have my fucking Instagram on public. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't give a shit. Like all that stuff. I have my 
Facebook on, I think it's public. I don't think it's locked down. Like, Right. That's a choice. Yeah. And I like never go out of my way to do all that when people like, if you don't repost this, it'll, you know, all that bullshit or like check your privacy settings. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing anything interesting enough for people to bother. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I think if you were doing illegal things on nefarious things, it would make sense to be more concerned with that. But for me personally, I'm boring as fuck. Like, I'm sitting here fucking like drinking cordial, you know, like <laughs> spicy, <laughs> spicy water. <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to doing some reading on this and I'll chat to you next week. Will do. So, Josie, it's been a week uh, since we went off to research. Uh, whether or not CCTV in public was an invasion of our privacy. Um, Did you want to start with what you found? Yeah, sure. So I found a few different papers that were really intriguing to me and gave me a bit to think about. So I've I've got a bit of a spiel happening, so (laughs) you've been warned. Okay, so the first paper I read was The Impact of CCTV on Fundamental Rights and Crime Prevention Strategies, the case of the Catalan Catalan? Catalan. Control Commission of Video Surveillance Devices, and this was written in 2011. The ultimate goal of the article was to look at the decision-making processes implementing CCTV in Barcelona and how particular stakeholders attempted to balance like the concept of security, used existing laws, and tried to abide by constitutional rights while you know increasing security. It argued that while a balance between a citizen's privacy and security is preferable, the assumption of collective security is increasingly prioritized and outweighs their privacy. Exactly. CCTVs have been thought to be a good deterrent since their presence encourages the perception that there's an increased likelihood of being caught. In the review of the literature of this particular article, they noted that previous studies have shown that the argument for the effectiveness of CCTV and crime prevention is a bit of a mixed bag. Like one prior study indicated that CCTV is mostly useful in combating property crime which we kind of alluded to last week with, you know, your work and stuff um, rather than violence and disorder and are more effective with a limited field view, like, you know, focused on one sort of area rather than like a big scope of the place. And actually having a good relationship with the police is the most effective aspect of a security system. So, you know, it's all well and good to have these CCTVs around, but if you're, if you don't have a good relationship with the police, then their response can really impact. Yeah. Like what's done about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the first one. As with a lot of these papers, they sort of like more study needs to be conducted. Especially I found like with the dates of them, because it's such a fast moving industry and it happened, like it progressed so quickly. It's like even a paper that's 10 years out of date you know, that's in the scheme of things shouldn't be too much. And it certainly shouldn't be just in regards to ethics. Like a lot of that stuff doesn't really change. But just talking about like the different avenues things go down or how how like the technological side of it changes is just progressed so rapidly. You're so right. Like, so I guess this is something that maybe I should have been a bit more careful of. So when I was studying IT, we were told to never go beyond five years back um, with our sources. But now that's a bit more relaxed now that I'm studying like a social science. Yeah. And I guess I wasn't expecting, like you said, like this is such a fast moving area, entire journals dedicated to this. Like a lot of the conversations that they're having now are still important, but we now have like AI involved and none of these that I read really address that. So that was the first one I read. There's a lot of debate around 
freedom, power, and the invasion of privacy when it comes to publicly implemented CCTV. I noticed like the general line to justify increases in surveillance are for safety and security reasons. There are a lot of people critical of this. And, you know, there are many questions like someone should ask about civil rights and dynamics of power before kind of installing a CCTV system or just like feeling okay about it in their day-to-day lives. That 2011 study also brought up some arguments made by another scholar named Andrew von Hirsch. Uh, He wrote this stuff in 2000, so very dated, but I still think it brings up some interesting ideas. He argued that when CCTV is in operation, there are collateral damages. So so like the idea that cameras recording can't discriminate between criminals and non-criminals. So that's to say CCTV involves scrutinizing ordinary people's comings and goings, even though they haven't necessarily done anything. The second argument, he said, surveillance in public spaces may have a chilling effect on freedom of speech or assembly, which is at least kind of the the outcome that we saw in like Hong Kong, where they're adding this AI to their video stuff that is supposed to suppress freedom of speech and assembly. So I thought that was interesting. And then his third argument was the observer may be unobservable. So a camera is more likely to be ignored in a way that a police officer couldn't be ignored. Yeah, because you wouldn't, you know, might not even see it. Exactly. And yeah. and you know, that I think there's arguments for pros and cons of that as well. So basically in at the end of that article, the authors agreed with von Hirsch and they put forward the idea of like democratizing CCTV. So making it like a two-way thing where they're like community can have access to that material if they want it kind of thing and deciding where cameras in public spaces like state run cctv where that's implemented and making it more community-based rather than just like policing of bodies without any community input i feel like that's almost worse like making it accessible for everyone you know what i mean it's like i would feel better about knowing that it's like highly regulated with who's getting to see that footage versus like my local neighborhood pervert like i i get what you're saying but the people you know the types of people in the police force i don't think that they're necessarily like the quality of people in there is not necessarily better oh no i mean like regulated outside of that like if they're the ones having to there should be like an entirely separate body that regulates the people that are having to like the control room operators that are having to go through like you know sort through that footage like often the police i think aren't the ones that it's going directly to like it's to a control room and then the police have to access the footage through that stuff so like you're saying if someone off the street was just like yeah like if anyone could look at it at any time i find that far more unnerving than like it being to a specific person whose job it is to do that but i guess if you say no you're a bit weak you may not look at this footage it's sort of like but if I'm being observed why can't I look at that footage you know like I guess like it's a slippery yeah for sure like I'm not saying I, I don't disagree the idea that someone could just like maybe collect like this is getting a bit tinfoily but you know if I had a stalker and they could yeah. collect all this footage of me at best watch it you know like yeah that's it and because it is such a gray area it's like in a new sort of relatively unregulated area for instance if someone had like a restraining order against someone would Mm. they still be able to access footage that shows them where they are and their movements and you know like it gets into really weird territory i didn't even consider that aspect of it so i kept thinking about the point we made last week was that it's you know useful in forensic evidence and criminal proceedings and you know we've both watched basically every episode of forensic files and listened to heaps of true crime podcasts where cct footage has helped build a timeline or has led to the arrest and conviction of perpetrators cctv is often labeled as an unbiased observer 
I wanted to kind of look at how actually how reliable CCTV is in criminal proceedings. For instance, you know, it's easy to be suckered into the CSI effect, right? You know, where you believe that this piece of evidence can hold more weight than than it actually does in reality. Uh, So I found a 2013 paper called Just Truth, Carefully Applying History, Philosophy and Sociology of Science to the Forensic Use of CCTV Images. And the author is Gary Edmund. And he attempted to look at how better understanding of expert interpretations which could better prepare judges deciding whether or not a piece of video evidence is admissible or not because judges are just as capable of kind of they're, they're not experts in every field no. so they may fall to CSI effect too right so they looked at some case studies where expert witnesses who elaborated on CCTV evidence did do the right thing by saying that no footage can absolutely identify any particular individual. And when I was doing forensic science, they said that like you can't absolutely identify any particular individual, but you can exclude people and excluding people. When it's like based on height and all that sort of stuff, like looking at how they do those measurement things where it's like yeah. in a convenience store, like their head was as high as this shelf. and like Yeah. And, and they showed like different ways that, you know, expert witnesses have tried to present the exclusion and he noted and this is something that I learned at uni and I was like fucking horrified by that's still true now that there's no standardized way to analyze CCTV footage there's no standardized way to record store or transfer the footage either you know when you're dealing with different cameras and computers and all sorts of stuff like the quality of the footage varies immensely you know in a few weeks we're going to be discussing the death penalty in an for one episode and in my thinking that I've just been doing in the back of my head lately, I've sort of been thinking, well, I guess one could maybe justify the death penalty if there was a if there was like video evidence that recorded the entire thing, right? Mm. But like kind of after reading this, I'm not even so sure on that. Yeah, maybe if it was like high def home video and not like a season. Right. <laughs> like like I'm sorry to say it, but you know, like ISIS quality. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen their videos, but they're really well produced. Yeah, like it's undeniable who you're looking at like it's not yeah exactly so the author of this paper set out a criteria that might assist courtrooms and prosecutors and stuff but you know that's all well and good but the thing that caught my attention was a note of how physical features can be distorted and disguised by the person who knows they're being observed on camera this made me stop and think about examples of this being a positive and a negative thing in terms of security Mm -hmm. so first of all I thought of the people who were applying the makeup, the geometric makeup to obscure video-based AI tech in like places like Hong Kong and how that's like, yeah, great, like your privacy and stuff is is protected. And that's an instance when CCTV, you know, you're fooling this unbiased observer. That's a good thing. But then on the flip side of that, I thought about the Delphi, Indiana murders that still remain unsolved. So for those who aren't over the Delphi murders, Abigail Williams and Liberty German were murdered and their bodies were discovered in February of 2017. They were best friends and were just 13 or 14 years old. I believe the girls felt uneasy because one of them filmed themselves on selfie mode and in the background you can see a man walking behind them. Some audio has been released of this man's voice as well. There's a lot of holdback evidence in this case but the point is is that the man videoed looked to be stocky with wide legs and had a larger stomach and was wearing like a flat cap. The first composite 
of this person, like the first sketch released of this person of interest was released and it kept in line with that idea of a stocky older man. However, in 2019, a longer clip of the audio was released along with an updated sketch of the suspect. In the updated sketch, the suspect is thinner and quite a lot younger, looking to be in his 20s as opposed to late 30s and 40s, like the original sketch. Additionally, the updated sketch doesn't have a flat cap but rather tightly curled hair. Since the updated sketch has been released you can't help but look at the video evidence in kind of a new light. Like now when I look at it I can make out the fact that it's not a flat cap but is curly hair and you notice that his legs appear wider than they actually are that there's seems like there's something some sort of tool stuffed down his pants like perhaps a weapon. And the reason I bring this up is that our eyes aren't reliable as we think they are. We're open to suggestion and our brains like to make connections and make sense of images, however, whenever possible. Yeah, like seeing a face in the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Seeing Prince Philip in a piece of toast. (laughs) Every breakfast. (laughs) So I'm nearly done my 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 soapboxing car. I I apologize. No, keep going. I'm enjoying it. So when it comes to balancing civil rights of privacy and anonymity in public, does the argument of increased security and surveillance hold weight when in criminal proceedings filmed evidence is still just as flawed as the people viewing it like i don't claim to have an answer or a solution the topic is deep and broad and it's an ongoing conversation to wrap things up i'll try and try and rush it through there was a 2012 article called regulating cctv we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we use when we created them and if, you, if this is a topic that interests you i think like anyone listening, I think this is a really good primer to get you thinking about the ethics behind constant public CCTV surveillance. But there are some numbers that the author gave that I thought were interesting. First of all, it was noted that 72% of people aren't worried by CCTV and that 90% are in favour of it for the purposes of catching crimes. But estimations show that around 80% of CCTV footage is useless So you're often recording people and activities that aren't committed crime, which I kind of alluded to before. There's also some arguments that, you know, there's the idea that people who do wish to commit the most heinous crimes, murder and rape and other forms of physical violence, they don't necessarily care if they're being surveilled or not, or they'll find an opportunity to commit their crimes out of frame if necessary which is quite easy to do considering the often static positioning of cameras. You know, I I still think that CCTV footage can be used in really useful ways to establish a timeline and alibis and provide other information or, you know, provide leads to law enforcement. And, you know, as someone who has had a family member murdered, you know, it's so important to get that justice. I can't imagine having an unsolved case, you know. And so if there was a chance that there was video evidence, it's hard for me to ignore that aspect of it, right? Yeah. Like, But then I keep thinking of the amounts of people who are filmed every day. And, and I also think back to this idea of, I think it's called biopower. It was a social theory put forward by Foucault but basically it's just like this network of technologies implemented you know by government or a nation state and the idea is to subjugate bodies and control mass populations my my idea is that cctv could potentially be one of these technologies because you know when you're under the impression that you're being observed you begin to self-police you know you might think that's a good thing but there are some psychological effects that occur because of the stress of self-policing. And mm-hmm. I also think it's really important. I wish I had made some time to read about this, but I, I unfortunately didn't. We, like, we need to consider like 
marginalize peoples when we talk about biopower and CCTV as well. CCTV can be used to police non-white people and unhoused people and whether or not those people are engaging in criminal behavior or not, there's like a stress that comes with the idea of being watched. And, you know, in Brisbane with the move along laws, increased surveillance could mean that an unhoused person has less opportunity to seek shelter and for shorter periods of time if that CCTV footage on a sidewalk is being monitored. Basically, I've finished this week with more questions than answers. So thanks for enduring that with me. I would love to hear what you found this week. I think that's it, is that there's a lot. It's an ethical debate. And the technology is progressing so fast and like faster than the government can regulate it and faster than we can come up with ethical answers or solutions to how it's being regulated and how it's being implemented. So one thing I did was listen to a podcast and it was a BBC podcast called Moral Maze. And I recommend anyone who is really interested in this stuff to give it a listen because it was pretty informative. It was the episode called Surveillance and Human Freedom. It's hosted by Michael Burke. And they were discussing, basically, it was like a panel situation where they had a bunch of different experts with different uh, viewpoints from different positions, just stating like their sort of ethical take on it um, and how information was being used through CCTV. So they discussed, apparently, I haven't seen this, but there's a documentary called um, Inside the Chinese Digital Gulag. Yeah. So that was um, like, in regards to that, they were talking about how the Chinese government is using facial recognition to the point of like tracking movements of people, like monitoring apps even putting barcodes on people's doors the fuck yeah it's like orwellian as fuck and like this super police state kind of stuff and supposedly their reasoning behind it like the chinese state said it was to counter terrorism and improve human rights which just seems really absolutely not (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah like this podcast was really interesting just because they brought up a lot of sort of ethical issues with it and and things to and like not just with that they were talking about cctv in britain as well so they were saying how like you know the information that gets housed by all that technology um, is power you know and power corrupts like you know absolute power corrupts absolutely so (laughs) the information like is it being used by the state is it being used by big business and even the notion of like facial recognition it's essentially an arbitrary identity check like I guess if you were walking down the street and a police officer stopped you and asked you for your ID you'd be like, well, why? Yeah, you could say no, right? Yeah, you have an option unless they have reasonable cause to be requesting that you, you know, comply with that. You can say no. And in this situation, you can't. And so there's an issue of consent that becomes really gray area um, because none of us agreed to this. You know what I mean? Like this is a thing that, um, and I think this is where the line sort of became a lot more blurred for me is that when you give up some of your privacy in order to engage with technology, with like applications, with social media, you tick a box, you know, like you, you have a user agreement and you tick a fucking box in just participating within a law abiding society. It's just an expectation. Like there's no box to be checked. So just the fact that you're alive and out in public, you are supposed to follow these rules but you don't check a fucking box to be watched because what's the alternative what if you want to say no stay indoors like that's not freedom that's it and if they were to if you were to say like well no I don't want to be surveilled well why what are you doing like it arouses suspicion you know it's the same as if a policeman was like can I see your ID and you're like no 
It's like, well, what are you hiding? No, it's just my right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it becomes this weird sort of social thing as if like the people that don't want to participate in it must be the criminals. Hmm. When in reality, it's sort of like, well, there's also, you know, and it made me reflect on how I view, you know, because I know last week I was like, well, nah, fuck it, you're in public. But I also say that as like a presenting middle class white woman. Apparently, like even with the facial recognition technology and the information that they feed the AI, it's inherently racist. Um, Yeah. And they had an expert talking about it on this podcast. So once again, recommend listening. But he had said that um, basically, like even though we consider ourselves to be a progressive society, uh, the information that gets fed into the AI is like the whole of the fucking internet, basically. So everything that exists gets fed into it. And one of the um, panel women was like, well, if we're a progressive society, can't we create progressive technology? Like, couldn't you just feed it progressive information that was in line with how we, you know, are choosing to progress our society? And he basically said, well, are you going to sit there and read through millions of lines of code? (laughs) We can filter through it. It's just too overwhelming, basically, like they can't. And so that's just the way it turns out, which is fucked. But yeah, it's just another thing to consider. So like with unhoused people, it's the same thing, you know, like if you're white and you're a certain class and you feel like you're, you might not feel safe in public, especially as a woman, but you would feel that you would have some level of protection from authorities, not Mm -hmm. that you would be persecuted by them. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like our fear would be more in line with the public attacking us rather than authority figures or like state powers attacking us which is not in line with everyone you're right and I, I don't think I even thought of that last week you know like obviously I was like oh a bit skeptical about state powers but I wasn't thinking about an experience where being attacked by the state in like over policing or something like that yeah so that's a good that's a good perspective yeah and I think like in general you know like you know there's a lot of laws that we don't agree with in society in general and yet we still have to participate in them you know there's no perfect political system that caters to everyone's needs uh, and I'm not saying that CCTV is the perfect solution either, but obviously we can't expect everyone to be on board with it. Um, there's just a lot of things that you agree to by living in society. And it's just one of those sort of ethical questions, like is the progression of technology and specifically pertaining to, you know, closed circuit television and surveillance, like is that going to be something that just moving forward we have to accept as part of our society. But in regards to privacy, I think like one of the things that I sort of came across was like as a, a question to be posed ethically, is there a legitimate expectation of privacy in public spaces? And I think you kind of basically said that last week, like what do you expect, right? Yeah. And I think like I'm going to dive into it a little bit more in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up, and I found it interesting because of what you found as well with your research, but there was um, Australian Institute of Criminology released a study. It was by Anthony Morgan and Christopher Dowling in 2019. And when posed with the question, does CCTV help solve crime? They said, yes, there's an increase in the rate of matters being solved, but surveillance doesn't necessarily deter Hmm. the crimes from happening so sort of like well we can help catch the criminal but it's not really going to stop people from committing the crimes in the first place so in the nature of safety is it actually making you more safe or is it just getting you justice that's an important thing because it's like okay well you know if we were harmed we would want Hmm them to be able to catch the perp right yeah it's like it's kind of unfortunate that it's like okay well cctv can't prevent or deter 
crime, violent yeah. crime. And it's like, God, it's so hard to weigh up, right? Like, right. Cause it's not stopping it happening. But at the same time, I would still want them to fucking catch the person if it could. <laughs> but then it leads to like, well, is it even going to be admissible in court? Like, yeah. And it's still like, how does that balance against everyone else, you know, being filmed? So one other thing was that like with CCTV, the surveillance, we're talking about public surveillance systems that are generally fixed. But I mean, surveillance in general isn't necessarily fixed. Like police now have body cams, you know, everyone has a fucking mobile phone or some form of digital recording device. There are like drones. Like there's so many things that you can't control that you could be being surveilled on at any time. You're so right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think like the intent is one of the biggest things for me. So there are a few questions where like I sort of was like, okay, these are the important things. Like, are we consenting to this? And I think in order to do that, you have to weigh out, you know, how you feel about your own privacy versus your the interest of public safety, if it even is an issue mm-hmm. of safety, um, who has access to the footage and to the information being captured and the intent of the people that have access to that. So is it for safety? Is it for profit? Is it for control? Um, mm-hmm. That's a really big issue. And how easy is it for someone who has access to that information for that intent to change or exactly and to or to sell it or you know like it's Mm -hmm. just but in terms of just like ethics um so i read an article that was called privacy rights in public spaces cctv and the problem of the unobservable observer and it was by benjamin j gould it was published in 2002 in criminal justice ethics really interesting and i'd recommend reading it if anyone has access to it Um, but it was basically talking about like if you're out in public and someone like momentarily observes you it's fine you know like that's sort of the expectation (laughs) (laughs) well sometimes I like have those days where I'm like I just don't want anyone to observe me (laughs) no eyes yeah (laughs) don't look at me anyway sorry to interrupt that's right but it was saying like you know momentarily it's okay but anything more than that would be like inappropriate or uncomfortable or unacceptable you know and so in in regards to cctv and surveillance like that is what that is like someone is watching you and they might be have their eyes fixed on you the whole time you're out and the the other issue is that it's you don't know who they are like it could be anyone and that greatly affects how we feel about being watched is the person that is watching us so I think that is what, yeah, is concerning. It was talking about how privacy rights protect an individual's legitimate expectations of anonymity. So how much privacy are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of crime prevention, hypothetically, or public safety? But in terms of privacy rights and and how privacy is sort of perceived, he was saying basically our daily lives are lived in a number of different social contexts many of which overlap. So you have the version of yourself that's at home, the versions that is at work or in social events. So for him personally, he was saying like, you know, at home I'm a husband and at work I'm a teacher and at my local sports team I'm a team player or whatever. So in each one you assume different responsibilities, you respond to different expectations and you maintain different levels of intimacy with the people around you. And I realised upon reading this that I was like, fuck, this is why I don't have a problem with it because I have fucking boundary issues. Like I am the same person in all of my fucking contexts uh-huh. and that's why I don't give a fuck. I'm like, yeah, my Facebook's public. Every Yeah, it's like everything's already out there. I'm the same person. I'm not worried about these circles sort of intermingling or crossing over or because it's not going to contradict itself. 
Like I'm the same fucking person. I just like, yeah, of course, like I don't tell customers to fuck off even when I want to. Like there's certain levels of, you know, you maintain professionalism, but I'll turn around to a coworker and soon as I've walked out (laughs) and be like, they can fuck off, you know, like that's still, I'm the same person. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting thing that like, you know, privacy conventions in general, like allow for control over those spheres. Um, So Mm. people get to limit the extent to which they're subject to the demands of the people within them so you know your privacy allows you to maintain control over how you present yourself to the world how other people are perceiving you like it gives you a sense of like autonomy it gives you a range of relationships like different types of relationships I mean control dignity funnily enough security (laughs) Um, like there's a lot of things that come with it and which could potentially for some people be sacrificed through that it's so interesting hearing you say that I think that we're quite similar in the way that we present ourselves like there might be some little changes here and there but like for people who are such control freaks we just don't care about (laughs) what side of ourselves shows because it's just like it is that's it it. it's too stressful to have to control all of it and you can't control how other people are gonna you know like imagine the level of stress we would have if we were keeping really distinct versions of ourselves amongst different groups of people I couldn't handle it the anxiety of that would just be too much it's easier to just be the one fucking person all the time (laughs) absolutely I mean that's why I'm open about quite a lot of things and like including even you know my sexuality is stuff as well like as soon as I was just like eh, fuck it like so much less stress so I can understand it in that sense for sure like yeah know. like I feel safety within that because I don't feel like I'll ever be exposed because it's like it's nothing that I wouldn't already tell someone you know right. what I mean yeah. like it's yeah the joys of being an oversharer well. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really interesting really interesting idea yeah so I think like in general after reading all this it made me realize that I was definitely coming at it not just from the perspective of white middle class person but also of someone with boundary issues that doesn't give a fuck so I was like shit this definitely isn't a lot of people and I could understand and respect why other people would feel differently to how I feel so I do think like yeah it probably is on some level an invasion of privacy just personally it doesn't bother me yeah okay Kara well your hill was no it's not an invasion of privacy I'm curious to know where you've landed I think it probably is guess I'm shifting hills um, yeah like I, I this is the th- I, I it's a shift and it's not like I think it's probably an invasion of privacy to an extent it just depends how you define privacy and if you're private at all which for, yeah it probably is an invasion of privacy I'm not bothered by it so it's like it's an it's an invasion of privacy but not necessarily your privacy my privacy personally yeah like yeah. I'll be like, hey let me tell you about the dump I did yesterday <laughs> yeah you, you want to listen to man yeah. behind the camera like I don't care yeah. <laughs> exactly but yeah how, how about you so my hill was like yes it is an invasion of privacy and I think I'm Burma on that hill but I kind of wish I wasn't like I, I was really hoping I'd find more justifications for why CCTV is such an important tool. And it is for especially like for individuals, right? Who are and families of people who've been harmed. Yeah. Looking at the broader context, I'm just like, ah, yeah, no, I think that kind of with everything, everything that is intended to be good can also be used for nefarious purposes as well. And I mean if there were better statistics backing up how useful it was criminally. I think there'd be more argument for it. I'm pleasantly surprised that you changed hills, but also when you explain it, it's like, yeah, of course 
your personal thing is it's not an invasion of my privacy. Yeah, it's just once again me being totally fucking self-centered. No! (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you know what? Yeah, this is my opinion because this is how I feel. Like, fuck everyone else. And then as soon as I start to actually consider other people's perspectives, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. I was just being really narcissistic. No, because it's like you're speaking from your experience. and Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the point, right? Like we start off speaking from our experience and then we actually look into other perspectives. And Yeah, and I, I guess the reason that I... Whoa, rev head in your neighbourhood. Oh, fucking sick one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, though, like, you know, I guess if you had asked me a year ago I probably would have said no I probably would have said the same so I, I did have like a bit of an unfair like I've read a few things about surveillance yeah I'm not speaking just from a, a gut reaction kind of thing like yeah uh, for sure <laughs> all right that was our episode on is CCTV an invasion of your privacy next week we're asking the question are realistic sex dolls a backward step for feminism in the meantime you can Get a hold of us on Twitter at a hill to die on pod, on Facebook at a hill to die on. Our website is a hill to die on pod.com. Our Patreon, if you want to th- chuck a few bucks our way, is patreon.com slash a hill to die on pod. You can shoot us an email at hill to die on pod at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at a hill to die on pod. Bye. <laughs>